You know, I had this uh, fancy introduction prepared, but um, I think I'm going to skip it because of what we just saw. And uh, just pray for a minute, then I want to talk to uh, us. I want to kind of dialogue with us about light and darkness. My father, uh, I think the house is quiet right now, not just because it's raining outside and the weather changed. I think the house is quiet, not just because it's early on a Sunday morning. I think the house is quiet because we were profoundly impacted by that five to ten minutes of reality. And I pray, Father, now that as we take a look at this timeless book that you know, tells us what life is about, um, tells us about light and darkness, and tells us how we can be light in the darkness, that you will, I, I guess that we would leave not the same, not just intellectually titillated and stimulated, but that we would leave changed. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to read three passages um, with you this morning. The first one's in Luke chapter 1. Kind of an obscure text. I'm not sure I've ever heard it preached on, but um, it's when John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, is prophesying over him about the coming of the Savior. Luke chapter 1, verse 76, and he says, And you, child, meaning You, my son, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of deliverance to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, and the day spring is simply a figure of speech for Messiah. And that one will give light to those who sit or dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, That one has come to give light to those who sit or dwell in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace or into the way of shalom. And then if you turn over to the Gospel of John, a related passage. John chapter 1, many of you know this text, but um, let me just give it to you in this context. Thank you, my friend. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made in Him, meaning the Word, which later on John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about, again, Messiah, Dayspring, Jesus of Nazareth. In Him, in this Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not and could not overcome it. Some of your Bibles might translate, did not comprehend it. The the Greek word there is katalambano. It means to grasp um, with force. And depending on the context, it can mean to grasp. In other words, understand. Or the context might imply to grasp in the sense of overpower. And I've gone back and forth in this text over the years, but I am convinced now that what John is saying is that when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has no chance of overpowering it. And then one last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just one verse, verse 2, about this guy named Paul that Ken just talked about who was an emissary of this light into the darkness. 
And he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? This ministry of bringing light into the darkness. As we've received mercy from God, we don't lose heart. But this is the line that I want to capture your attention this morning. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, if we are going to be those that bring this light of the day spring on high who has come to lead us out of the valley of the shadow of death, to lead us out of pain into shalom, if we're going to be one that brings the light into the darkness to the point that the darkness cannot overcome the light, then we have got to deal with our own darkness. We've got to deal with our own hidden things of shame, the stuff that we keep into the darkness. Before we can help someone else with their darkness, we've got to deal with our own. I, you know, I don't think we need maybe much convincing this morning that there is a lot of darkness out there. What you just saw um, should have been enough to kind of shock us into reality that we are really dealing with the battle, light and darkness, light and darkness, figures of speech for sin and righteousness, pain and healing. Walked up into our church steps the other day in our neighborhood, and here's one of our brothers, Johnny, who is, man, when Johnny's sober, man, Johnny's taking prayer requests and sweeping the front porch and embracing people. He's an articulate young man. He's smart. He's intelligent, but he just, he told me the other day, he said, I can't stop drinking, Pastor Butcher. I just can't stop. And so he was lying there stone cold drunk, just sleeping off his morning as I walked up to the office. The other day, one of the young women in our neighborhood, 19-year-old little girl, just as sharp as she can be, she gets in some kind of a cat fight out on the street corner in this community, and the girls are slapping each other and smacking each other and F-bombing each other. And my secretary, who's an ex-heroin addict herself, she ran out and just took this little girl, Joanna, in her arms. And Joanna just sobbed like a baby. And she said, you know, Sue, I'm just lost. I'm just lost. And then you've got not just the personal stuff. You see it in Bend. You've got the stuff in Bend. But you've got the stuff internationally. For heaven's sakes, this is the 10-year anniversary of Losing 3,000 people in New York City on September 11th. And I think we have a tendency to forget what the gospel says, that if there's light, the darkness can't survive. We have a tendency to walk by the darkness and say, really, what is there to be done? Maybe we can do some little thing, but what is there to be done? John says, when light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. And then, of course, the gospels go on to say that this may be as a reality we haven't dealt with this morning. This is not just about the doctor and this young woman who's an intern. He says, you are the light of the world. Paul says, we shine as lights in the darkness of a confused and broken generation. The Calvary ain't coming. We are the Calvary. And, and, I, and I guess because you come to church this morning on this, on this cloudy, rainy day, on this transitional Sunday for Antioch, I guess I would assume that for most of us, for most of us we have brought some of our darkness into the light. I'm, I'm going to assume that we've brought some of our darkness into the light. So we're not talking today about those of us who are trying to be wounded healers. You know, 
We haven't brought all of it out, but we've brought some of it out. And God, God's light is shining on that darkness. And slowly but surely, the darkness is being healed. It takes time. Sometimes it's incredibly discouraging. But as long as we're bringing our darkness into the light, we have a capacity to that extent to be a wounded healer, to come into the darkness and to see the darkness driven away. But the problem is, for many of us, we have a whole boatload of darkness that we're not dealing with. I'm not worried today about the darkness that we brought into the light. What I'm worried about today and what I think still handcuffs us and what renders us partially, if not sometimes mostly ineffective. In fact, I'm wondering today if there's, I mean, if, if there was enough light to go to Somalia, if there was enough light to go to Detroit, if there was enough light in Bend, would the darkness have a chance? John said no. And so I'm wondering today if one of the reasons why the church of Jesus is not more effective in bringing its light into the darkness is because each of us maybe has not dealt as fully as we need to deal with the darkness that we still keep hidden, what Paul calls these hidden things of shame that cause us to limp into battle like a soldier that has a broken leg trying to fight tanks of the enemy. And we don't, even have, we don't even have what we need to pick up our gun. And so let me just, let me just dialogue. Let me just talk with you for a minute this morning. What, what are some of these hidden things of shame? How about closet behaviors that some of us might be hanging on to this morning, like addictions related to alcohol or gambling or pornography or money or a relationship with a young man or a young woman that no one knows about. I was doing a men's retreat um, a couple of years ago, and um, at the end of this men's retreat, a 55, 56-year-old man who had been a leader in that church community, there's like 80 guys at this retreat, stood up after we had talked about some of these issues, and he said, i got to confess in front of my brothers here today, 80 guys, he said, I've had a 37-year pornography addiction. And this guy was one of the good guys. This guy was a follower of Christ. I'm just wondering how many years of ineffectiveness in terms of bringing light into the darkness. I wonder how much more he could have been effective for the kingdom of God if he just would have had a space or a place or encouragement to say, I've got to tell somebody about this. This darkness is killing me. It's killing my family. It's keeping me from being what I should be for the kingdom of God. I was speaking to a men's group a couple of years ago, and, and uh, at the end of the, of the group, I was walking around praying for the gentleman, the men there, who, who has hidden stuff. And I put my hands on one young man's head, and I've never prayed for this before publicly, and I prayed for those men who go home at night and can't get off the computer. It's not about pornography. It's about gaming. It's about connecting with people all over the world, and they're there for three or four hours in the night. Ironically, unbelievably, it had to be a Holy Spirit thing. Met that guy later on at a coffee shop. Before I drove back to Detroit, he came up to me and he said, you don't know me, I'm a disc jockey in, in, in this community and I'm a pretty well-known radio personality. When you laid your head, hand on my head and you started praying about four hours at night, ignoring the kids on the computer, he said, that is me. And he said, right after you got done, I told the brothers at the table there when we had a sharing time, he said, I outed myself for the very first time. He said, I'm, I'm on the way to healing. Closet behaviors. They keep us in darkness. How about closet attitudes, various fears 
my daughter Andrea, we, we just had our first little grandbaby and a couple weeks ago in our uh, community church in, in the neighborhood, they had cut, driven in from Chicago and we had a time just to, to share with each other in the body. And my little girl, my 28-year-old little girl, got up and with tears running down her face said, I've not told anybody this and I'm ashamed to say it, but I've got this precious little baby. There are people that are infertile, but I've got this precious little baby and I'm so afraid that I'm not going to be a good mother and I'm so petrified. It's shutting me down. This child cries all the time and I'm afraid there's something I'm doing wrong. And she said, I'm just here today to tell you that I need support, to tell God that I thank him for giving me this little baby girl, but I need support from the community because I'm dying because I've kept this hidden, kept this inside. about fears of failure, fears of dying, fears of the future? How about deep doubts that we carry with us about God? I know it's not very popular to, you know, come into church on the way into the parking lot and have somebody say, how are you doing today? Well, I don't really know if God exists. Um, it's not popular, and yet we wrestle like that, don't we? Resentments and judgments and jealousies and insecurities. Some of us today are so insecure. We are so insecure. We're so empty inside. But who do you tell about that? It drives us. It, 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 it keeps us stuck relationally because it's always about us because we're so insecure. But it's one of those hidden things of darkness, one of those secrets that keeps us from being released in freedom to be about driving the darkness out with our light. And then how about closet pain? I'm talking stuff maybe that we're not even responsible for, maybe stuff that somebody else has perpetrated upon us, but it's still darkness. It's still from the enemy. I'm talking about depression. And you know, the body of Christ has a tendency to be okay with depression if you're depressed for about two weeks. But what if the depression lasts for about two years? And what if the medication isn't working? What if the therapy is not really lifting the, the, the darkness in our lives. And so at that point, we just get to the point we don't want to share it anymore because, because we're not sure we'll be accepted and be received. How about the darkness of a, a bad marriage that we don't want to admit that it's just not working? We, it's just, I've, we've listened to the tapes. We've gone to the seminars. It's just not happening, but we keep it inside because we're so afraid of letting it out into the light. How about various family situations, painful family situations, painful financial situations, illness? How about abuse that we've experienced as children? I did a, um, a series of talks for a bunch of young people out in Colorado a couple of years ago. Um, I went up into the mountains to do this retreat. I thought I was doing it for high school kids, so I was already nervous because I'm not sure I'm that great of a high school speaker. But then I saw all these short little people running around. And I said, who are these guys to the guy that brought me? And he goes, oh, there's about 200 junior hires here, too. And honest to God, if I could have walked down that mountain and just got on a plane and come back to Detroit, I would have because I was so petrified that I wouldn't be able to connect with these 12-year-olds. How wrong I was after talking about similar things that we're talking about this morning, not exactly the same. Before I could even get off the side, you know, walking off the side of a stage like this after that first night's talk, and before they could even start singing, I had a little 14-year-old, 7th grade little guy who buried his head in my side. He doesn't know me. Who am I to him? But 
He was, so, he was so dying to get the, the darkness, the hidden things of shame into the light. He buried his head in my side, and I leaned down while the band began to play. And he poured out his heart about how his mom had wanted him to have a Christian dad, and so she'd married this Christian guy who turned out to sex, be a sexual abuser who had been abusing him like for three or four years between the ages of four and eight, and how he just can't get beyond it. And then while I was trying to minister to him, a 17-year-old kid came up to me and buried his head in this side, and confessed to me that he'd had a, porno a pornography addiction since he'd been 10 years old, and I was the first human being that he had ever told. Hidden things of shame that keep us stuck in the darkness. What are some of yours? What are some of yours? You've just been afraid to put them into the light. Maybe today is the beginning of a new day of freedom for you. How do these hidden things of shame kill us? Because they do. The scripture is very clear. Sin always leads to death. But how specifically? And I guess in some ways this is a stupid question. I mean, I, I'm a rage addict, a recovering rage addict. And so if I look back on my parenting years, I, I can see visions in my mind that I wish I could get rid of. Of times when the rage addiction, when I allowed it to take over my life and a couple of my little girls were cowering in the corner as I just so hooked on the adrenaline of the situation, of the control of the situation, to see my little girls. I mean, it's obvious how these kinds of hidden things, if they're not dealt with, can impact folk and hurt them. But here's a couple of thoughts you may not have thought of that maybe are not so obvious. These hidden things of shame, first of all, isolate us from our Heavenly Father. Because we don't think we can even tell Him. Now, by the way, as parents, have you ever had this happen with one of your children? You know, um, they come home, and they just think they've put one over on you, and then finally they find out that you know, and they look at you, and they say, how do you know? How do you know these things? Well, parents just do, and can I tell you today, your Abba Father, my Abba Father, he knows about our hidden things of shame, and he wants to be close to us in these hidden things, and so it's, I think we know intuitively or intellectually, we're not dumb. We know he knows, but there's something about we think it's kind of like when your child is really small, they think when you play peekaboo, you know, they think if they have the blanket over their head, you can't see them. And so there's something about us, we think, you know, yeah, I'm really hooked on whatever, or I'm doing whatever, or my attitude, this thing is a hidden thing, and we think somehow if we just don't look at God, if we just don't talk to God, that maybe he doesn't know in as full of a sense as he'll know if we look at him and say, this is who I really am. And yet the problem is then we become distanced, do we not, from the one main being in the universe who loves us with all of his heart and who wants to come close to us in our hidden things of shame, in our darkness. He wants to draw us close. And if I was down here on the floor, man, I would be coming over to some of you. You know me if you were here last time. That's just who I am. I would be coming over and putting my arm around you and telling you he wants to do this to you and you and you. He wants to say, come close to me, son. Pour it out to me. Be honest with me because I can't come close to you. I can't help you unless you come close to me and tell me what's really going on. And then, of course, these hidden things of shame isolate us from one another. And this is a real problem because if life is in the relationship, and I know we believe this here at Antioch, if life is in the relationship, if, if, relation, if life is not in the gold stars that we're all looking for or the stock market rising or falling or the car that we drive or where we live, but if life is in the intimacy of the relationships that we have, can I tell you, when you and I are really worried that maybe one of these hidden things of shame will leak out, 
Someone might discover us. They might find out that we're not all that we've been projecting that we are. What it does is it makes our relationships shallow. Hi, how are you? Good, good to see you. Well, let's go to the game. Okay, and then you talk about, but you never really talk about what's real. You never really get to the place where you say, really, I've been afraid to tell anybody this because I'm afraid of rejection, but I've got to tell somebody. You're my sister in Christ. Here goes. Relationships stay shallow and relatively non-meaningful and really very ineffective. And then the other thing is about isolating us from one another. Doesn't Galatians 6.2 say, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? Don't we talk about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12? Romans chapter 12, where there are various gifts in the body that can be brought to bear on our pain. If I don't get the chance to share that pain, then how can the gifts in the body that could be brought to bear upon that pain come and meet me in my pain? A couple of years ago in our um, community, on a Sunday morning just like this, uh, we're in this 19, you know, this 100-year-old building, almost 100-year-old building, and these big curved oak pews, and one of our um, ex-prostitutes who's sitting over on this side of the building, I'm preaching about something, and she stands up right in the middle of the teaching time, like what I'm doing with you right now, right in the middle of the teaching time, stands up and starts sharing some of her stuff, some of her hidden fears about her ex-husband and her little boy and the five children she had when she was a prostitute who really hate her guts now because she really wasn't a mother to them and this new little boy that she's now trying to be a mother to and will she be able to do it? And I mean the pain of the sexual abuse in her past. And can I, t- can I tell you what I did? Let me tell you the profound thing that I did. I stood there because in seminary you don't have a class on this, I promise you. And so I just stood there. I don't think it was a bad move in the long run because I think sometimes when we just stand there, the Holy Spirit can be free to do whatever he wants to do. And so a young woman down here, actually more like a 40, 45-year-old young woman, grabbed my wife's hand, actually, and stood up and started to minister to this woman. She had been sexually abused, too, and she got up and outed herself in front of 200, 250 people and said, you know, I was Tamar in the Bible. And i got to tell you, I've been been bringing my stuff into the light for years and I've begun to heal and the healing is coming it's coming slowly but she, she said Sophia you hang on sister your healing is on the way and there are those of us who will be with you in the process and I watched that very agitated very passionate woman of God who used to walk the streets the calmness that the healing that began to come and she just sat down quietly in her seat and then we we moved on with the rest of our time together What if she had no place to go? What if that gift would never have known about that pain? Then that healing could not have begun. So it is today here at Antioch. And then, of course, these hidden things of shame isolate us from ourselves. We're not free to be who we really are, and so we live in bondage, always looking over our proverbial shoulder, afraid that we'll leak out some of that which we're so afraid will cause rejection. You know, we really think, don't we? We really think in America that we can keep all of this stuff kind of buried in a place in our spirit. Kind of like a, a, a toxic waste site, a dump site, where they take the toxic waste and put it in barrels. And then they bury that stuff in the ground, don't they? And then they forget that barrels rust through. And 10 years down the road, that toxic waste is leaking into the groundwater 
and poisoning folk that live in the area. My brothers and sisters, you and I cannot keep the hidden stuff hidden. There's two ways to let it out. One brings healing. The other brings death. I mean, seriously, my, my, my brothers and sisters who are parents here today, you think your kids don't know intuitively that something's going on just because you haven't talked about it to them or even talked about it to your spouse. Man, my children now are 28 years old, 25 years old, and 21 years old. And when we get around as a family and they start talking about their childhood, I'm like, how did you know that? How did you figure that out? Well, it's because kids miss nothing. You can't hide the pain. The pain, if you don't put it out there for healing, will leak into the relationships in your life and slowly but surely kill them. And that, we're not even talking about how it limits your effectiveness to be able to be the total person that God has made you to be, to bring your light, the light of Jesus Christ, shining through you completely and freely into the darkness around you. The Calvary ain't coming. You're the Calvary. And then... You might ask the question, well, how do we keep them hidden? How did we get so good at this? These are just some basic defense mechanisms. See, see, which, one, see which one you're using. I, I came up with these not by reading a book, but because I've used them all. The first one is denial. This isn't really a problem. What I'm, really, what I'm, what I'm struggling with isn't really a problem. In fact, I can control it. Can I tell you, if you find yourself talking about one of those hidden things of shame just to your own self, and you say, I can control it, it's a sure sign that you can't and you aren't. Otherwise, why would you, who are you trying to convince by saying, I can control it? It's obvious that you aren't. And then there's this thing called blame. Well, you know, I do have some issues, but I wouldn't be in this mess if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for that guy at work that keeps bugging me, if it wasn't for the boss who won't pay me enough, one of the things about growing up and becoming an adult, my brothers and sisters, becoming mature is taking responsibility, not for what was done to us, but for what we're going to do about what was done to us. I've been married for 34 years. If you come to the second service, you'll be able to meet my wife, uh, who is my best friend. I'm so absolutely, madly, passionately in love with this woman. She is so hot. Can I, tell you, can I say that in church? I'm just telling you. I know some of you think, you know, you get to 57, it's pretty much over. It ain't over. Can I tell you, it's not over. I love her with all of my heart, but we've been married about six months, and we reclined at, like the Barbie and Ken at this Christian university, you know, where we went. And, you know, I played football there, captain the football team. And, you know, when Kevin and Carla got married, it was like, oh, they're just going to be so, you know, they're really going to be happy. And six months in, some of the garbage that I didn't even know I had in my life came rushing out, and I was throwing my wife across the room and verbally abusing her. And I might have told you this last time. If I did, you wouldn't have forgotten this illustration. My wife tells me I mix arguments up. I don't know, but it really preaches well, so I'm going to tell it like I see it. And that is, that particular night, we had a really bad fight, and I think she spit green beans in my face, and I think at one point she had said, you know, damn you, and I had said, don't swear. You know, I pulled the little seminary, you know, I know Greek, and I walk with God thing on her, and I said, don't swear at me, and my wife has a pistol, and she went, damn, damn, damn. And at that moment, I lost it. And it would have been so easy for me to say, well, you know, if you wouldn't have spit green beans, I mean, who has to put up with being, having green beans spit in their face, or who has to put up with being sworn at? But that night, God, by his grace and his mercy, gave me enough sense to stop blaming and owning my 
own darkness, without which I guarantee you we would not be married today. Maybe it's time for some of us here today to quit pointing fingers and start owning what's real in your life and the fact that you're the only one that can do anything about it. And then, of course, there's this thing called rationalization. Well, really, what I'm struggling with isn't hurting anyone, or I could be doing worse. I use this all the time in my marriage, guys. I don't know if you do, but if my wife finally nails me, I'm a pretty good arguer. Some people th- said I could, be a, could have become a lawyer and not just a pastor, and so I will win a lot of arguments just because it's kind of a... A gift and a curse that I have. But if my wife ever nails me, like she just got me, I'm in a corner and she's got me. One of my main things to get out of the corner is, well, I could have been a lot worse. You know, I probably did that thing, but I could have done something else that would have been worse. Can I just say, if that's what you're using to keep yourself from dealing with something that is a hidden thing of shame, that is rotting your life and the lives of others, know it or not, from the inside out, it's time to stop this morning and tell the truth. And then, of course, you have in the church, you've got this over-spiritualization thing. Well, this is just between me and God. Usually, when we invoke God, because we want to keep some of our hidden stuff hidden, it's not because he's really told us to keep it hidden, it's because we want somebody to blame that's a higher authority than ourselves. So what are your techniques? for keeping your hidden things of shame in the darkness. Almost done. Why are we so adamant about keeping them hidden? Why is it so hard to bring them into the light? I think it has a lot to do with fear. Fear of, for example, facing our real selves. I can't tell you how difficult it was. You know, when I was playing college football, you know, it was a good thing for me to be enraged. I mean, it's part of what made me an All-American. I wasn't that good, but I was really angry. And so I played angry. But when football was done and that rage started to come to the surface, you know, one of the hardest things in my life was to admit to myself, I don't just occasionally lose my temper. In fact, I don't really think I lose my temper at all. I can see it coming, but I'm addicted to it. It's one of the ways I control the anxiety in my world. And it's worked pretty well for me up until now to admit one day, to look in the mirror and to say, I am a rage addict. I use this to control my world, and it's hurting people all around me. One of the toughest days of my life. It's very difficult to say, I don't just drink occasionally more than I should, but I drink more than I should all the time. I am an alcoholic. It's very difficult to look ourselves in the mirror and to say, My marriage is not working, and and partially I'm to blame. I'm in this marriage. It's very difficult to say I'm a workaholic. I've always blamed the man on the fact that I work 70 hours a week. I'm trying to bring good things home to the family. Don't you? I mean, you like that car you drive? Instead of owning the fact that I'm addicted to work because I don't have a life outside of work, don't know what to do with myself outside of work. We all have a shadow side, my brothers and sisters. We all have a shadow side, but if we don't take that shadow side and realize God loves both the light and the shadow, and they are all one in us, we live literally split-off lives, split-off personalities. And again, not only is that a miserable way to live, but my brothers and sisters, how effective can we be in the darkness when so much of that darkness is controlling our light? And then, of course, we're afraid of rejection by others. Well, of course we are. 
In fact, some of us today can say, well, the last time I opened up in church, this is what some yo-yo did. This is what some judger did. This is what some hyper-spiritual Bible thumper did. I get that, but can I tell you, there are folk in the body of Christ that won't be like that for you. And the problem is, it's the old, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. Yeah, there are a few folk that will always act a fool if you get open. But the bottom line is, we have been given the body of Christ to tell those truths about ourselves that we have nowhere else to go with. What if you and I began to believe today that some of these brothers and sisters here in this body really are brothers and sisters, and that they will welcome you. Not that they'll sign off on your behaviors. That would be to enjoy watching you die. But while you're working on the darkness, they will embrace you and won't reject you, and they will hold you in their arms and walk with you into your healing. And then, of course, many of us are just afraid of letting go. You know, you're in a mud hole. Your hidden things of shame have put you in a mud hole. But isn't this true? It's your mud hole. You know just where the soft mud is, and you know just where the rock-hard mud is. It's your mud hole. You don't know what's out there. And so for some of us, it's like the darkness. We feel it closing in. We see. We, we're smart enough, and we're, we're open enough to see where it's damaging our lives and the lives of others, rendering us ineffective for the gospel. We're so afraid to get out there because we've got so much we're hiding and trying to manage, and we want to get it out there, and yet we're not sure what that means, and it's so frightening to us. Can I just say today that could it be that the enemy doesn't want you to know that on the other side of your mud hole, which seems so comfortable for you, is a place where there ain't any of that kind of mud at all? A place that's called freedom. Paul said it is for freedom out of the mud hole that Christ has set us free. Well, finally... Is there anything to be done about these hidden things of shame? Paul says, um, I renounced them. He said, I renounced them. I said, I'm done with them. In the message, Eugene Peterson says, Paul started to refuse to wear masks and play games anymore. If any of you, and I don't know because it's difficult it's difficult to be a talking head. I mean, you don't know me, and I don't really know you. And you might have said, man, this, this message is for you not knowing us. The, the thing is, though, I know people. And the thing is, I have found this to be true, whether I'm in Germany or South Africa or Uruguay, the suburbs or the hood, we have a tendency to hold on to these hidden things of darkness, and I believe they are killing the church of Jesus Christ, and I believe they are killing you, and I believe they're killing your relationships, just like in the past they have killed me and mine. So if you're buying any of that today, in this last three or four minutes, can I just say here's, I hate to use the word steps because it's not like mechanical, but here's some thoughts. First, could you today admit that keeping this hidden stuff hidden isn't working for you anymore? as if it ever did. Remember David in Psalm 31, when I kept silent, 
when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day and all night. Can you, can you begin to admit that the hidden things of shame have led you to where the prodigal son was like sitting in that pig muck and that you are tired of eating carob pods, that you kind of believe that maybe back at the Father's house there's embrace and freedom, that maybe this God who calls himself Father, maybe wants to embrace you even with all of your hidden stuff, just like he's embraced me with all of my hidden stuff. And give us courage to bring it into the light where he can heal it. You know, we sang this song earlier, You are my freedom, Jesus. Do we believe that? And that's number two. Would you have the courage today to begin to believe that maybe the light will set you free? That literally, we're not, when we talk about light and darkness, we're not just talking about going to heaven, eternal life. I mean, my Lord, if the light can deal with our darkness in terms of forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, and give us a pass through the blood of Christ into eternal life, do you think maybe the light is strong enough? The light that John said the darkness could not overcome, do you think the light is strong enough to help you with some of your darkness that you've kept hidden all of these years because you didn't know there was anything that could be done about it? Would you dare today to believe that the light wants to penetrate your mess and that your mess cannot overcome that light? And then thirdly, I think maybe the thing that can happen this morning as we close in just a moment is that you can choose this morning to get honest with yourself and with God about some of this stuff for the very first time. Father, I don't just drink too much once in a while. I've got a problem. My Lord, I've got a problem. Father, I've been trying to balance this marriage, but Lord, there's something going on, and I've got to t- tell you first. I've got to tell you, you know already, but there's something. I'm, I feel hopeless. a young lady in my life that's very, very close to me. She wrestles with an eating disorder that literally controls her life. The most difficult thing for her is to believe that the light of God can somehow minister into that piece of her darkness. And thus it is so difficult for her to take that piece of darkness into the light where it can begin to be healed. I wish I could come down today and hear your personal story and talk to you about your journey and what the wounds are. I wish I could so that I could help maybe take your hand, just me, little old stumbling, screwed up me from the hood. I wish I could take your hand and maybe just help you have courage to take a step today that you have a heavenly father, an Abba father. Look, man, I love my daughter so much. I text them every day. No matter how much they do, whatever they do, I love them. How much more must your Abba love you? He will hear your darkness today. He's desperate to hear your darkness. He's desperate to bring you out of those hidden things of shame into his healing light. Would you have courage today enough to tell him, between you and him in just a moment, we bow our heads, tell him the truth. Start your journey. 
home. And then lastly, and this is a lot more difficult and it won't happen today because it's just, it just isn't probably going to happen at least in a big way, and that is James 5.16. You've got to choose to begin to get honest with some others. And I know how it is in America, but you know in James 5.16 where it says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. And we're like, man, I don't want to tell anybody about my hidden things of shame. But you know in the context in the Old Testament of that phrase, you know in the Old Testament where they usually put their hidden things of shame? Out into the community. Because they knew there was healing there. I know it's risky. But it's not more risky than keeping your stuff inside where it is literally like a bucket of toxic waste leaking into all the systems of your life and into all the relationships of your life. It's not more risky than that. And can I tell you, my brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about just one out-yourself party. I'm not talking about, okay, I, I finally told my best friend a little secret. I'm talking about developing a lifestyle because I'm telling you, these hidden things of shame are like cockroaches. They're always, when you turn on the light, they're heading for the darkness. They will try to keep sliding back down. This rage thing, man, i got to deal with this day after day after day before the Lord, before my brothers and sisters. I, I, I pick and choose who is safe from me, but I talk to them about it. Because this isn't just one little one-time thing. This is a lifestyle of bringing your stuff into the light. And by the way, you get certain parts of your hidden things of shame into the light. Can I tell you, the enemy has about ten more waiting at your doorstep. Because he knows that if he can keep you, with that hidden stuff right here, he will not only limit your joy, limit what you can be in your relationships, but he'll limit your effectiveness in dealing with darkness, like the darkness in Bend, like the darkness in Detroit, like the darkness in your dysfunctional family system, like the darkness in Somalia and Kenya. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And as you're bowed, I just want you to listen to this last story. I told you about the guy who stood up at the men's retreat and confessed that he had uh, a 37-year pornography addiction. What I didn't tell you is that because of his courage to own his hidden thing of shame, one of his sons who was there with him at the retreat, also an adult male who was married with kids, stood up and said, Dad, because of your courage to bring your stuff into the light, I want to tell these brothers here today that I've had a 10-year pornography addiction. And then can I tell you, because of those two guys' courage to out themselves in a good way, bringing their hidden stuff into the light, can I tell you, the next Monday night, this ministry has a recovery ministry on Monday night at the porn table. This is just one of the hidden things of shame, my brothers and sisters. There's a boatload. Can I tell you, at the men's porn table, there were seven new guys Five more had followed the example of these two who had brought their hidden stuff out into the light. And then, oh, by the way, did I mention that the wives, they went home and talked to their wives finally. And yeah, there was some anger and there was some mess, but the wives started getting together, getting their stuff, the stuff of their marriage, the stuff of their own journey out into the light. And oh, by the way, we're not even talking about the kids who won't even know for another decade the impact of those Moms and dads who decided to believe that the God who is light 
wanted to come to them in their darkness and that they had brothers and sisters who would receive them and help them walk into their own healing. Those kids will be the beneficiaries and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids, generations to come. This decision today of you to begin pulling your stuff into the light is not just about you. It's about every one that you are going to impact in your life. My father... My kind and gracious Abba, would you give us courage right now as we sing this last song to talk honestly with you about what's really going on inside of us in the back corners of our life. Would you give us courage to bring the hidden things of shame into the light? Starting just with our relationship with you, would you start right now, Father, with my brothers and sisters in Antioch and continue that journey with me? In Jesus' name.